Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Today I'll be asking five questions on Theresa May's difficult Brexit deals to Charles Grant, director of the CER. But actually, Charles, I think it's going to be six questions today because you think that the British government is going to have to strike six deals. There are at least six, Sophia. The first deal that has to be struck is the legal separation of Britain and the European Union. Secondly, there has to be a free trade agreement looking forward to the future economic relationship. Thirdly, there has to be an interim deal to provide a legal framework for Britain's relations with its partners between the time it leaves the EU and the much longer period before the free trade agreement goes into effect. Fourthly, Britain has to become a full member of the World Trade Organization, which is far from simple. Fifthly, Britain has to find a way of creating bilateral agreements with the 53 countries currently linked to the EU through free trade agreements, which become null and void the day Britain leaves. And finally, it needs a separate set of negotiations to cover relations with the EU on foreign policy, defence, justice and home affairs. Right. Let's go through them deal by deal, I think. Um, of course, first of all, the divorce settlement. Maybe just briefly your perception When will Article 50 be triggered and what will be covered in the negotiations? I guess Article 50 will be triggered sometime this winter. Once it's triggered, Britain has only two years to complete the divorce settlement. It can be extended, the negotiations, they can be extended, but our partners don't wish to extend them, I believe. This, this divorce settlement will cover dividing up the assets, the properties, the institutions, the pension rights, the budget payments... And it'll it crucially cover the rights of EU citizens living in Britain, like yourself, and uh, <laughs> British people living in the EU. Right. So from divorce to new settlement, the second deal has to define the new relationship between the UK and the European Union. And do you think that this will be a free trade agreement, an FTA, similar to the one that Canada has? That seems highly likely to me. It is true that the British economy would benefit more from a Norwegian-style membership of the European economic area. Norway has full access to the single market, but it has to pay into the EU budget and accept free movement of labour, which I don't believe the British government will do. Therefore, the next best option, or the, the least worst option, is probably a free trade agreement on the Canada model. This will remove, probably, tariffs on manufactured goods, which is quite good for our industry. But it won't give us much access to the single market, particularly bad for the city. Our the banks based in London won't, won't enjoy the passporting rights, which currently enable them to be regulated in London and do business all across the EU. So it'd be quite bad for our service industries, not only financial services, but others too. So a less good deal than Norway has, but better than nothing at all. Timing will be crucial in these negotiations. In your view, how long is it going to take until these deals are struck? The divorce settlement will, I believe, last two years. The free trade agreement could take five years to negotiate, and then it has to be ratified by every member state parliament. Some will have referendums. So the whole the whole procedure for the free trade agreement could, could last something between five and ten years. So that, that leads to a problem, because there'll be a, a gap between the time when Britain leaves the EU and it loses its rights as a member, and then the much longer period before the free trade agreement comes into force. And that, for that gap, that's when you think the third deal will have to That's be why you need a third deal, and what an insurance company would call temporary cover, giving some legal framework for Britain's relationship with the EU before the free trade agreement kicks in. Of course, that interim period could turn out to be many years long, so there'll be a lot of haggling over it, you know, how, how many bits of the single market will Britain have the right to 
take part in? How many restrictions on EU immigrants will it be allowed to impose? What happens to our research base? Uh, what happens to agriculture in that period? It'll be a sort of quite a haggle over this interim deal, which will have to be done at the same time as the divorce settlement is negotiated. Now, the fourth deal that you think Britain will have to strike is not with the EU at all. It's with the World Trade Organization, the WTO. Why does the UK need that deal and what would negotiations look like? Well, Britain is already a kind of member of the World Trade Organization, but not a full member, because full members deposit their own schedules of tariffs, quotas and subsidies with that organization. Britain needs to become a full member before it can strike its own free trade agreements with anybody else. In order to do so, it needs to firstly negotiate with the EU uh, what quotas it'll have, dividing up existing quotas, what tariffs it'll have and so on. That should be fairly straightforward, but then it has to get the approval of every single WTO member, by some counts there's 162 of them, to, to, to approve the new British uh, schedule being deposited. And it is certainly a risk, according to some British officials I've spoken to, that the Argentinians might be difficult because of the Falkland Islands, the Spanish because of Gibraltar, or the Russians because of the sanctions that Britain is applying to Russia. So there is a real risk that membership of the WTO could be held up. But of course, if British diplomacy is very clever and everybody, all potential problems are smoothed out in advance, it may not delay things too much. But certainly it'll take several years to join the WTO. Now, we're four deals in. You say that this fifth negotiations for Britain is actually a series of deals with all the countries that have free trade agreements with the EU. So it's a good thing that Westminster has a new Ministry of International Trade then. Yes, it, the, that Ministry of International Trade uh, is, according to some conservative politicians, going to go around the world striking new trade agreements with countries that currently don't have them with the EU, like India, China, America, Australia, New Zealand, and so on. But actually, they won't be able to do that technically because you can't strike a trade agreement while you're still a member of the EU. Uh, it's just illegal to do so. And also, they won't have the resources to do it. This, this new ministry is being built up from scratch, and it's going to have one very important task in the next two years. The day Britain leaves the EU, it loses the benefits of the 53 trade agreements that currently operate between the EU and other countries like South Korea, Algeria, Israel, Vietnam and so on, Singapore. So it needs to scramble very quickly to quickly negotiate bilateral trade agreements on its own with these 53 countries so it can still go on trading smoothly at the day we leave. That must be the priority for the new ministry. Can we end on a positive note maybe with the sixth deal on security and defence policy because that should be an area in which cooperation is mutually beneficial for both the UK and the European Union. Yes, when it comes to cooperation on foreign security and defence policy, I think Britain may be in a stronger place. Hopefully it may find a way of feeding its own ideas and expertise into EU policymaking and influencing EU policymaking. This is because Britain has assets it can offer. It has quite good intelligence services, armed forces, diplomats. It has a seat on the UN Security Council. So it brings something to the party. And if, if Britain's former partners in the EU are rational, they will try and benefit from British expertise by allowing us not a seat at the top table, but a kind of seat in the, in the anti-room outside where we can give them our thoughts and try and influence the debate. America has a slightly similar relationship already with the European External Action Service. Why not Britain too? We've heard in the last episode of this podcast that during her visit to Warsaw, Theresa May brought up Britain's contributions uh, within NATO 
to Eastern member state of the European Union. Do you think that that could become a bargaining chip in the negotiations? I think the British government may try to make its security contribution to Europe a bargaining chip. I would caution them against doing that. Uh, I have heard one advisor to the government saying, because we provided a battalion of troops for the Baltic countries helping Baltic and Polish security, they should jolly well give Britain a fantastic deal on the free trade agreement negotiations. You have to be a little bit careful there. It's legitimate for the British government to say, we're helping to contribute to your security, so we hope that generates goodwill. But if they then imply that we're only contributing to their defence, the Baltic countries' defence, just because we want to uh, leverage that for a better free trade agreement, rather than because we care about their freedom and their democracy and we care about defending them against potential Russian aggression, that would be a, a way to rapidly lose credibility in Eastern Europe. And I hope the British government doesn't try that gambit. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London. Mm-hmm.